Hey, Podcast Brunch Club. Before we begin, a quick thanks to our organizational partners, Podchaser, Critical Frequency, Audioboom, and Listen Notes. These are all companies you should look into if you're interested in great content and podcast discovery. They support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hi, Podcast Brunch Club. I'm here with Anita Rao and Sandra Davidson, the founders, hosts, and producers of the She and Her podcast. We featured an episode of She and Her on our January podcast listening list. The theme was community responses to disability, and the episode we featured was called Disability is Her Beat. Welcome to Podcast Brunch Club, Anita and Sandra. Hey. Thanks so much. So I'm so excited to get you two on the phone. I want to hear a little bit about you guys and how you, you know, like your background and then how you came about doing the show. Sure. So this is Sandra. Anita and I met as undergrads at UNC Chapel Hill. I don't know. Feels like a lifetime ago, but maybe (laughs) many years, 10 years ago, I guess. And we met in a women's studies class, which is an important detail, but we became really Mm -hmm. good friends and have always shared a love and interest in storytelling. And after a series of moves to different places in the U.S. after we graduated, we both found ourselves back in North Carolina living in the same area. And we had the opportunity to host a show at a new community radio station at the time called WHUP in Hillsboro, North Carolina. They were opening up and taking pitches for new shows, and we'd always wanted to work together on something. So we decided we wanted to create a feminist podcast at this community radio station. And that was how many years ago, Adita? I think we officially launched in October of 2015. So um, we've been doing it solidly for about three years. Nice. I I work in public radio, um, and Sandra has a background in folklore and oral history and storytelling. And so we've kind of found ways to integrate our various professional backgrounds and our personal interests into the show Um, And it's been a really fun way to kind of deepen our friendship as well as our relationships with the community that we're a part of here in North Carolina. Very cool. And tell me a little bit about the tagline of your show. It's feminism with a Southern spin. Yes. So we do live in the Triangle of North Carolina. And I think before I moved back down here, I was working at StoryCorps in New York. And Mm. I realized that a lot of podcasting is kind of happening in hubs in other parts of the country. So I feel like there's a lot of activity in the Midwest and Chicago and Mm -hmm. Minneapolis, and there's a lot of activity in New York and Philadelphia, but I didn't really know of a lot of podcasting work happening in the South and really nothing that Sandra and I were listening to was coming from voices in our own community or communities around the South. So that was really important for us as we began to launch this was thinking about 
kind of how can we feature Southern voices and look at how feminism is manifesting in the South in particular, because I think there are obviously a lot of narratives around the country about, you know, what the South is and how it's changing. Um, and those don't always mirror exactly what we see in our own community. So we wanted to kind of look at how the intersection of being a feminist and being a Southerner came together as part of one piece of intersectionality we were looking at that we really wanted to focus on. So I think that is definitely some of the inspiration. Sandra, I don't know if you have other thoughts. Yeah. So I guess the only thing that I would add is, and this is something that we have moved through in different ways as we've done our show, but you know, not every one of our episodes, are we going to ask a guest, what explicitly does your feminism mean to you? Because Mm -hmm. some of the people who we bring on and some of the topics that we explore, we believe by just having a voice of, for instance, a Black woman from the rural South who was pregnant with her first child at 16, having her come on our show, talk about her experience becoming a mother at that age, and then what motherhood has meant to her as she has grown up since I, in this case, graduated with her from high school. We believe just having her voice on a show in the type of show that we're doing is creating a space for different voices of women um, who we don't hear in a lot of the other many women-driven, feminist-driven podcasts that we listen to, which are based on the West Coast or sort of in the New York area. And so to us, that is a part of feminism with the Southern Spin. So we may not have asked this guest specifically what feminism meant to her, but, you know, part of the ethos of our show is just to create a space for women from a lot of different walks of life, particularly the South, to come and express what their experiences moving through the world as a woman are like. I love that. And I mean, I feel like you kind of maybe touched a little bit on this, but um, maybe there's more you guys can add is how do you decide what stories or people you want to feature on your show? Yeah, it's a combination. Every season we have shifted gears kind of based on what's going on in our personal lives and what we're most energized by. And I think that's kind of the beauty of a passion project is that to keep it going, it really has to be something that you're really excited about in the moment. So I would say in this particular season, we're really focusing on stories of people that we can bring into our studio and talk to -to face-to-face because that is much more energizing and really lights us up more, you know, Mm -hmm. at 6 p.m. on a Thursday after we've had a long work week Mm -hmm. than like dealing with the technology and kind of the stress of connecting with remote guests. So that's been our focus, I would say, the past season. But it kind of varies. I think sort of in general, we want to feature people with various approaches to their feminism, kind of like what Sandra was saying. There are some, obviously, who are kind of much more on the nose, activists, very political in how they think about their feminist identity, but others who maybe wouldn't even come out overtly and identify as a feminist, but are doing things in their life or there are particular aspects of their story that kind of fit in what we think of as the personal being political kind of thing, like just their existence and um, sharing their perspective in a world where that perspective is not heard or not given much light, we consider to be kind of a feminist political act. So thinking about our show is broadly bringing together these various aspects of what feminism is for millennials who we think of as kind of a generation that has a a mixed relationship with the term. Um, Mm -hmm. So trying to 
kind of give people space to identify it in a way that is most relevant to them. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in the last season, we did things a little bit differently. So we put together several concept episodes. I think the first two that we did were about two millennial women who had been gone through divorces. We did an episode on anxiety where I did sort of a family history style excavation we did with Mm. my sister who deals with anxiety and anxiety is kind of a theme in my family. We did an episode on guilt where we featured a really personal conversation with Anita's sister. And then we actually, that same season, we did a concept show around disability, which is the one that y'all featured in Mm -hmm. this, um, this month's podcast brunch club. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect segue because the next question I wanted to ask you guys was, you know, what do you hope the listeners take away from Wendy's story? I mean, it was a really interesting and really awe-inspiring story to see kind of what she's up against and the things that she's overcome. So what are you hoping people take away from that? Well, I will say that what I took away from Wendy's story and I so Anita had a relationship with Wendy before she came on the show, which she can talk more Mm -hmm. about. But I got to know Wendy through the episode and I was just so impressed by her confidence and bravery moving to New York, Mm -hmm. given how close she had lived to her family and how important it was for her to be near people who knew how to take care of her and had been trained to take care of her to just all of a sudden take the plunge and move to New York, which I don't even know that I would have had the guts to do. Totally. Given the circumstances. So that, I think, was a really moving part of her story. And then also just her attitude. She was such a delight to have on the show. And I think that that is just generally a reminder to people that, you know, so much of how you deal with what life gives you and how you deal with that is your attitude. So that was a big takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, I like I say a little bit in the episode, I met Wendy in college and kind of followed her post-college through her writing. And she is an incredible writer and has written some really, really awesome pieces, both about her own experience as well as the field of journalism and the gaps that she really sees. And so I think the thing that sticks with me the most is kind of how much she highlights the need for diverse narratives about people with disabilities and that Mm -hmm. she talks a lot in her own writing about this idea of inspiration porn, which is that a lot of stories about people with disabilities really focus on, you know, how inspiring it is that they overcame these obstacles and that there are people in their lives who helped kind of lift them up beyond their circumstances. And she says, you know what, like, yes, they're Maybe some of those stories are well-intentioned, but what we really Mm -hmm. need is space for people with disabilities to tell their own stories and to look at how, like, it's not always negative and it's, you don't have to assume that it's an inability and also it may not be the kind of foremost aspect of someone's identity. And I love that she touched on that through her interview that, like, yes, my disability is a part of how I see the world and how I move in the world but I'm also an Asian American woman and I'm also like a young woman and I'm a feminist and I'm like body positive and there are so many other parts of my identity that make up who I am, which kind of that term intersectionality that's thrown around a lot in feminism. I feel like her story really embodies what it means to experience the world through a multitude of different identities. 
your comment, Anita, made me think about one of the other episodes featured in this curated list, 99% Invisible. I think it was called Curb Cuts, and it yes. documented the story of Ed Roberts, who was a huge disability rights advocate. And basically every curb cut in the U.S. we have him to thank for or is dedicated to him. And he so he was paralyzed from the neck down after catching polio when he was a kid mm-hmm. and ended up going to college at Berkeley where they first told him he couldn't come because he they just didn't have space for a student like him. But he ended up going, was living in the hospital there for his first, I guess, at least year at Berkeley and mm-hmm. <laughs> got really involved with the disability advocacy movement. It was in the 1960s, right around the time when a lot of other stuff was happening at Berkeley, too. But someone, I think it was one of his nurses, described him as aggressive. And mm-hmm. he said, well, if you were paralyzed from your neck down, wouldn't that be a tool, like an important tool for you to have? And mm-hmm. yet again, sort of a different way of thinking about what we often are shown when it comes to people who are living with disability as being very passive and very in need of stewardship and help. So, yeah. Anita's comment also reminded me of another episode on the playlist, which was the Joy Riding in Autism Land episode, which Andrew Solomon, the guest on the podcast, had written a book. And it was about how, I mean, I'm not going to do it justice, but there is a level to which there are people who, I sometimes people who really identify with their disability and sometimes people who just like, I mean, it's just one part of their, the of who they are, right? And and the the episode was talking about taking away the diagnosis of Aspergers and how it really hurt a lot of people that have Aspergers because it was part of how they identified themselves. And so, like, just looking at identity through these lenses, so interesting. I think I definitely made a lot of connections between that podcast and ours when I was listening and sort of thinking about how. The thing that's really important is allowing someone to kind of define how big of a part of this is in their life in their own words and to allow that to be fluid. And Wendy talked a lot about that to us because she has kind of very much claimed writing about disability and being a disability activist as her beat in the journalism world and has, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of seen a real need for that kind of reporting, but also says, like, I'm very clear when I talk to people that, like, this is not all of who I am. And despite mm-hmm. the fact that like this may be the focus of my professional work or like a big part of kind of what has shaped my life, it is not everything. Right. So I think there's kind of this danger in assuming how much of someone's story or identity their disability is and assuming that that's like a static defined thing that never changes. And I like how kind of her episode touches on that and how Andrew Solomon and touched on that in the interview that like it's there may be times in someone's life where it's like really salient and empowering to identify strongly with that marker in times when that really doesn't feel like the right thing. Right. And it's so interesting how language plays into it, you know, and like how the words we use like really matter. Like I think a lot about there's like a real push right now in the medical field to stay away from the word addict rather use like this person has an addiction because 
rather than defining the person as the thing versus having a thing that is one of many things that that person has. It's like less, you know, one equals one kind of thing. And I can personally say that the same thing is true for me, like in terms of the word Jewish, I'm Jewish. And I even Jewish people who use like use the word the term Jew, like I'm a Jew. I just it does not. It's like, to me, that's like, the person is the thing as as opposed to like, that is not all that I am. Like I am Jewish, but I am also other things. I'm also a woman. I'm also short. I don't know everything. <laughs> and so like, just the, the the words that you use and like the way that we identify, you know, in the way that other people identify you, it's just like so interesting how that all plays into each other. Yes. And we actually had another episode that would have would be a great bonus listen for this this podcast list that you've made. Um, we did a an episode last season on online dating, and we profiled mm. three different women who shared their experiences about with Tinder and online dating. And one of the stories was from a woman named Emily Ladau or Ladau, who is a disability mm-hmm. rights activist, and she we sort of came to her story via Wendy and she's an essayist and she wrote an written an op-ed for the New York Times about how she presented her disability on dating apps and she went through all of these different hmm. iterations of being totally non revealing that she had a disability and that she used a wheelchair to being very upfront about it. And it's a really good list and it's the online dating one. But that that was also her grappling with the fact, well, yes, I have a disability, but why does that have to be something that I share with upfront on my mm-hmm. online dating profile when there are so many other things about me that are just as relevant, if not more, in this mm-hmm. in this universe? Yeah, for sure. I will definitely share that episode on the show notes. That sounds really interesting. I wanted to add one other thing. So I I listened to the episode that y'all featured, The Memory Palace, called Outliers. It made me think of, so that episode is about the way circus culture has used people with disabilities historically and also, I mean, about that synergistic relationship between how people with disabilities have made circus culture Mm -hmm. work for them during different eras of history where that was one of the better means for them to make a living. And actually in North Carolina, there is a museum dedicated to Chang and Ying Bunker, who were the original Siamese twins. They were discovered in the 1800s by someone who saw them in what is now Thailand and said, y'all need to come basically join the circus you're going to be able to make a lot of money. And obviously he felt like he could make a lot of money on them too. And they ended up leaving this person's circus and then touring on their own terms. So they sort of became entrepreneurs and made a great deal of money and then retired on a plantation in North Carolina. So just this bizarre story. And there are many Chang and Ang descendants in North Carolina now, but they're museum, which is in Mount Airy, North Carolina, abuts the Andy Griffith Mount Airy Museum because he's also from there. And the, well, the museum pr- proposes that they were the first Asians living in that part of North Carolina ever. 
And so it was Hmm. one of those things where they decided that they they figured out the system and the game that they were a part of. And they said, we're going to make this work for us on our own terms. I mean, and back then, I can't imagine it was it was I mean, it can't be easy now. I mean, back then, it's got to be almost impossible. Yes. Well, before we wrap up, I have one final question that I always ask all of our guests. And just for a little background, we at our podcast brunch club meetings, we always diverge from the playlist at hand and we talk about what we're listening to lately. So do you guys have any podcast recommendations for the PBC community? Well, I marathoned Believed right before I left for my Christmas vacation, which is the miniseries about Larry Nasser, the defamed, awful, former U.S. gymnastics head trainer. And it is an amazing podcast miniseries. It's really difficult to listen to at certain points, but the women who are featured in that story are so brave and so awesome. And it's also hosted by two women who do a really great job telling a really, really difficult story and also sort of bringing in their personal perspective of how did this go on for so long? And we have kids. Would this have happened to our kids Mm -hmm. too? Like how would we have known? So I really recommend that. Yeah. I echo that recommendation and also to say that kind of adding to our conversation about identity and inspiration porn. I think that series does a really good job at kind of looking at the story beyond the story and where the series could end by saying, you know, this court hearing happened, this man is in jail, like these women have, the man is in prison for his life and these women have Mm -hmm. kind of gotten what they've always wanted. They look and say, you know, it's it's really never that simple. Like these kind of things don't just like stop affecting you. So I love how they're kind of meta about the narrative they tell. I think they do a really good job. Um, The other podcast I've been loving lately is called Food Psych. It's by Christy Harrison, and she is a dietitian, but she's also a journalist, and she is just a badass. It's kind of framed around, like, tackling diet culture, but she does it in a really fascinating way because she is a nutritionist. So she kind of, like, takes all these things that we think of as, like, basic knowledge or, or basic science and debunks them through conversations with various like body positivity activists, gastrointestinal health specialists, eating disorder specialists. And it has there's a ton of amazing feminist content in there. She very much approaches it through a feminist perspective. But I've just learned so much about kind of how to be a more empowered eater and thinker and anti-diet culture soldier. So I highly recommend it's it's a very good listen. I am going to add both of those to my playlist like as soon as we get off the yes, phone. That yes, that sounds awesome. It's so good. The yeah. other episode that I have queued up to listen to is Call Your Girlfriend's Permission Slip 2019 episode where they feature a number of women who are saying what they're giving themselves permission to do in 2019 and encouraging their listeners to. And they always have really great guests on the show. So I'm I listened to that yesterday, and it was amazing. Okay, good. (laughs) Highly recommend that one as well, yes. Awesome. I'm going to add all of these to my playlist, and I will put them on the show notes so that other people can find them as well. Um, Awesome. So I'm going to just ask you guys one final question. It's just how can listeners connect with you and find out more about your podcast? Yeah, so we have a website, sheandherradio.com. You can find us at sheandherradio.com. 
on Instagram, Facebook, and you know what? We've kind of given up on Twitter because it's really overwhelming. <laughs> so I would say Facebook and Instagram are the best places to find us. Yes. And our handles there are she and her radio too. And then we are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. So you can find us pretty much anywhere you get your podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a really great conversation. And I am really looking forward to listening more of she and her and listening to the recommendations you gave us. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you do. We love what you guys do. And we think it's awesome that you're bringing this disparate world of podcasting into conversation. So yes. Thank you. everybody. This is Steve. I'm the leader of the Minneapolis chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club, and I'm here with some creds for everyone who makes this show possible. The music you heard today is downloaded from Free Music Archive, and this episode featured music from a prolific Creative Commons musician, Dr. Turtle, with their song, His Last Share of the Stars. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by Adela, who is probably one of the coolest people I know. Adela's co-host on the podcast is Sarah De Silva, the leader of the Houston chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club, and founder of Audible Feast. Audio editing is done by me, Steven Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening.